Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of your wonderful faces this morning. What an opportunity it has been for us to come and to spend some moments worshiping God together with one another. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that you are a welcome guest and that we're so very thankful that you've chosen to come here and be with us this, this morning. I uh, hope that the lesson that I'm going to be sharing with you will be one that will be uplifting to you. Before I get there, though, of course, tomorrow is going to be Memorial Day, so we're going to take the time to deposit as a country and to remember those and to honor those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we might be able to have the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, as well as just the blessings of being able to gather together unmolested and worship our God. Also to thank those who are veterans who have you know, served in the military and those who are presently serving, thank you for all that you have done for us as, as well. Let me also remind you of our upcoming widowhood workshop. It is going to be June the 4th through the 6th. It begins on Friday night, starts at 6.30. And so it's going to be a good time together with one another. Dean Miller is going to be our featured speaker. The other day, uh, Clint and Jared and myself, we interviewed Dean in our podcast, Soul to Soul. And he's an incredible person, a wonderful person. And he's going to be a true blessing to your life. And so if you haven't already... Uh, registered for the workshop, let me encourage you to do so. It's going to be a great, uh, it's going to be a great benefit to us as a congregation to help us minister to one another. And then, of course, as you probably have already heard, our Mountain States uh, Children's Home mission that we normally go on uh, had to be canceled because of the virus. And so we have kind of readjusted and refocused. And so Jared is going to be sharing some things with us about the Treasure Valley uh, missions. It's going to be June the 17th to the 19th. And so you might be thinking about uh, what you might be able to do and that you, what you might be able to add to that mission work that's going to be coming. And so more, work, more information will be coming your way here in the, uh, in the near future. Was I supposed to allow you to come up and say a few things? Okay. So let's go ahead and get into our, our lesson. As you recall last week, I shared with you a lesson that I entitled uh, Surrendering Your Bag. And I use the symbol of a garbage bag to represent the sin that oftentimes we accumulate in our lives that so weigh us down. And I said to you that the only way to get rid of that, that garbage is to surrender it to Jesus because he's the only one really who is capable of carrying for it. That there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ himself. And so we talked about that need to be those who are willing to surrender the things that load us down in life. However, when you talk about garbage, if you will, there's a lot of ways that you can use the analogy Last week, I used it to represent that of sin. This morning, I want it to go in a little bit different kind of a direction. And as we talk about this direction, I think that you'll probably be able to get what I'm saying. One fellow, he, he wrote about being in a large city, and he went out and got a taxi, and he's on his way to an airport. And as they're driving down one of the right lanes toward the airport, this guy came just blasting out of an alleyway, came into the street, just narrowly missed the cab the, it, it itself, causing him to uh, put on the brakes, go into a skid, and he missed hitting another car just by inches. The guy from the alleyway, he rolls down his window, and he begins to cuss out, the other guy that was driving, and the taxi driver's response was, he just smiled and waved. To which the pastor thought to himself, you know, what are you doing? This guy, he almost hit us. He almost caused us a wreck. We came within an inch of losing our, our lives, and all you did was smile and wave at him. He said it was at that time that he learned the lesson of the garbage truck. 
the taxi went on, man went on to say, many people are like garbage trucks. They run around full of garbage, full of frustration, full of anger, full of disappointment. And as it piles up enough in their lives, they end up dumping it on someone else. And there's a lesson there. The first lesson is this, don't take it personally. It's really easy to want to take something personally when someone has done something or, or said something to us. But his advice is, is that, listen, you don't know what was going on in that person's life that caused them to say this or to say that or to do this or to do that. You just don't know always what's going on in that person's life. The second lesson is, is don't take your garbage and dump it on someone else. Don't take that garbage that was dumped on you and go home and dump it on your husband or on your wife or on your children or on your parents. Don't go dumping on those that you go to work with or those who are just on the street and still smile and maybe wave and then move on. And I thought about that lesson there. I thought, you know, that really is something that is, is so true. The, the things that we pay attention to, what you dwell on generally, you know, determines what direction we're going to go in life and how we're going to view life, whether you're talking about the circumstances of life or whether you're talking about people who can sometimes be unreasonable or whether you are talking about the uncertainty of what the future has for us. All those things can determine which way we're going to go in life and what we dwell upon. I like what Ella Wilcox said. She wrote this, One ship sails east, another west, with the self-same winds that blow. Tis the set of the sail and not the gale which determines the way they go. And that is so true when you think about life. And Paul, you know, he talked about that and he gave some incredible advice over in Philippians, the fourth chapter and verse eight. And there he said, you know, listen, uh, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in anything uh, that is worthy of praise, let your minds think about these things. I think the New American Center says, let your mind dwell on these things. And that's so important because we live in a world, in reality, that almost does just the opposite. They don't think on those things that are pure or, or wholesome. They think on just the opposite of those things. And all you have to do is just look at so much of the negativity that you'll find on, say, the TV news or maybe in some popular magazine. Or if you're a person who likes to just, you know, uh, surf the Internet and go to CNN or to CNBC or, or MSN or, or Fox or Yahoo or wherever you decide to go with some of your information, well, they're 24-hour type news things, and they're just constantly bombarding you with a lot of negativity. Even though there's a lot of positive things that are out there, you get hit with a lot of garbage that gets dumped on you, gets dumped on you in terms of circumstances, in terms of people, even the future itself to the point that you almost yourself begin to think negative to yourself. And if you're not careful, you can accumulate a lot of garbage that you then end up going and dumping on those who are around you. So I got to thinking about how our world is like that, and I thought maybe what we could do this morning is break that pattern and look at some things that Paul had to say to us about how to stay up in a, in a, a down world, how to stay up and how to stay positive about things when we look at the various things that are going on around us in life. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians, the first chapter, verses 12 through 23, and so if you will, open your Bibles to that section of Scripture 
or if you're using an electronic device, then you probably need to open it to that section. And let's look at some of the things that Paul had to say to us because I think he deals with three things. Number one, he's going to deal with circumstances that oftentimes really do challenge us. He's going to talk about people who can oftentimes be unreasonable and they can challenge us as well. And then we're going to talk some about the future or Paul will talk some about the future. So here's the first point. Staying up in a down world is remaining positive during the challenging circumstances that surround us. Look at verse 12 of, the, of that passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel of Christ. Underline what has happened to me. Now think about what's going on in your life. What are the things that really challenge you in life, the circumstances, the situations that you find yourself in? And then let's compare them with the things that happened with Paul. Paul here says, that which has happened to me really has served to advance the gospel. So Paul, what has happened to you? Well, how many times have you been shipwrecked? Paul was shipwrecked a number of, of times. You, you know, you read through that and you think, oh, well, what's the big deal? It's a shipwreck. Have you ever been on the ocean? I mean, the ocean is big. And if you're shipwrecked on the ocean, that's not a good thing. That can certainly be a challenging thing. So Paul says, listen, I've been shipwrecked a number of, of times, and yet still he talks about the advancement of the gospel. How many times have you been beaten and left near unto death? Sometimes when you give your children a scolding or maybe a, a spanking, they might think that they have been beaten almost to the point of death but not even anything close to it. But have you ever been beaten and left, left close to death? Probably there's not a single person in there who have found themselves in that situation. And yet Paul says, even though that negative thing has happened to me, I have cause to believe that it has advanced the gospel of Christ. How many times have you been arrested, chained up, put in a, a jail cell, or in custody for 24 hours? Paul went through a lot of things in his life, and yet he would say it has caused the advance of the gospel. When I look at all those things, there's some positive things that I take from all these things that have happened to, to me. The word advanced is an interesting word. When you look at this word advanced in the original, it had to do with woodcutters that would go ahead of the army and cut away the underbrush. In order that the army might be unimpeded as it advanced, that's what they did. Well, Paul is saying, listen, there's a lot of underbrush that has been out there. There's a lot of things that have happened, but I've been able to advance. I've been able to get beyond those things, and the gospel has not been impeded. He's positive about those things. So he's saying all the things that have happened to me are a result of simply clearing the way so that the gospel might be preached more effectively to the world that is around me. He then goes on to say in verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Understand the situation here. Paul is in is incarcerated he's in house arrest because he has been preaching the gospel and he's had those who have come up behind him and they have brought a false testimony about him and what he is about and the result of that is is that he finds himself now in custody a prisoner chained to a guard which meant that a roman guard came every six hours and we released the other guard that was on duty and unchain him and then chain himself back to to paul so Paul obviously is inhibited. He's not able to get out from the heart, house, but it doesn't change the dance of the gospel. 
he's chained to a Roman soldier. And guess what Paul does? Paul decides to share his faith and takes opportunity to share his faith with this Roman soldier. Now, it's true that probably a Roman soldier could say, it might be this big burly guy, and just say, look, Paul, don't want any of that stuff, don't need any of that stuff, keep it to yourself. And Paul would probably do that. But then there are those who gave him the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, and he did so. So the question might be this, who is chained to who? Because the Roman guard can escape. And Paul's going to do what Paul does. He's going to share his faith whenever he is given opportunity to do so. And guess what? It worked. It really did work. As you get to Philippians, the fourth chapter, and verse 22, it says, All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Well, listen, Caesar himself did not become a Christian, but those within the household, I believe he's talking about the palace guards, the praetorian guard that had been watching after Paul. These guys have become Christians, and now as Christians, they're sending their greetings. It's working for Paul. Here's another thing that Paul says. Second positive thing, he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul said, because of what has happened to me, and as they have seen how I've been taken care of, and how I've been able to share the gospel, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even though they see these things happening to me, they know that I've been courageous, they know that I've been fearless, and guess what? It has moved over to those. There are those who are taking it upon themselves, and they have become courageous themselves. They become fearless themselves because of the example that Paul has left for them and so he takes a, a negative and he turns it into a positive so what am i saying god can take the most negative things that happen to us and make them positive if we'll just focus on the positives that are are there let me give you an example of what i'm talking about bob benson he writes a book called see you at the house and in the book, he talks about a friend of his named Bill who had a major heart attack and almost died from the heart attack, but now he's recovered, and he's doing really well. So Bill, Bob goes over to visit, visit with Bill, and he says to Bill, so, uh, Bill, so tell me, what do you think about this heart attack? What do you think about it? He says, man, I hated it. It was really bad. I hated it, and I, I hope I never have to go through anything like that again. Bob asked Bill, so, listen, would you want to go through that again? He says, certainly not. Would you want anyone else to go through that? He says, absolutely not. Well, Bill, now that you've had this heart attack and you've got to feel a little bit better, how do you see your life now? Do you see your life is better or, or worse? And Bill says, oh, man, it's a lot better. I mean, I appreciate my life so much more than I did before this heart attack. And Bob says, well, and you've always had a great relationship with your wife. Did you and your wife grow closer through this event? He goes, hey, we sure did, a lot closer. How about your relationship with God? Is it any closer? He says, let me tell you, he says, my relationship with God has become so much more closer. God is so much more dear to me than before the heart attack. He goes, well, then, in reference to your heart attack, how do you see it now? You see, sometimes situations happen to us in life that stop us and cause us to pause and to look and to really listen at what's going on in our lives. And sometimes we can look at those negatives that have happened to us and we're able to reframe them and see that there's something that is positive there. 
What I'm saying to you is that God can take the most negative things that happen to us and make them positive if we'll just look for a while. I like what I saw on Facebook. There's this guy who posted uh, this very unique-looking car on, on the webpage, and it says, say something positive about my car. And I looked at that car, and I thought, okay, there's got to be something positive about this car. And so I looked down through some of the comments. One guy says, well, it's not electric. Another person wrote, or another person said, it matches your outfit. That was Lori Wheeler, by the way. <laughs> matches your outfit. Another said, well, it has four round wheels. Another said, in two payments, it's paid for. <laughs> another one wrote, uh, it could be worse. Given the current market for used cars, it is worth more now than it was a few months ago. And if you really look close at that, that car, Hey, it's a BMW. <laughs> you know, I guess it's just how you look at things. Paul was able to look at circumstances in his life where he had been doing really good things, advancing the gospel of Christ. He finds himself in prison, but he reframes it in his mind. He knows good things have happened because of it. The gospel has been advanced in places it would never have been advanced if it had not been here chained. Remaining positive with challenging people paul addresses that next some people are just i mean when you think about are just challenging individuals paul says in verse 15 it's true that some people preach christ out of envy and robbery but others out of goodwill paul's saying he's got the detractors he's got guys who are extremely envious of him and they preach out of that envy they are, they're his rivals they're competitors they see themselves as that in the gospel and paul says that that's not me when, you, when you're envious of someone, when you're jealous of someone, what do you tend to do? Well, it's easy to tend to want to talk negatively about that person and to devalue that person. And in doing so, we think that we elevate ourselves, right? Well, Paul, he doesn't get caught up in that kind of a thing. He knows that there are challenging people that are out there in the world today, but he is going to stay right. He's going to still doing what is good regardless of what is going on around him. When you talk about those that are negative, over in Daniel, the sixth chapter, there we read about the integrity of Daniel. Remember, Daniel was taken into captivity as a young man or a young boy uh, under Nebuchadnezzar to, to Babylon. He refuses, he's got this integrity, even as a young man that, or as a, a boy, that he refuses to defile himself by eating the king's food that's forbidden by God's law. And so he refuses to do so, in the end, he is blessed because of it. And over the years, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or whether it's Belshazzar or whether it's Darius or whoever it might be, Daniel always remains faithful and always has integrity, and it's noticeable. In the sixth chapter, it says, in the first year of Belshazzar, I'm sorry, sixth chapter, it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king may not suffer loss. In other words, there's a lot of guys who were in places of authority and power who were involved in graft. They're thieves. They're ripping off the country, and the king knows it. And so he says, I've set up 120 traps that are supposed to take care of things, but we need someone to watch over them, of which Daniel is one of them. 
Then in verse 3, it says, And then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. But there's some guys that are either jealous, envious, or they think they're going to lose something. And it says in verse 4, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in order, to, uh, in order of the government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And so these guys get together and says, Listen, We've dug into his past, we've dug up his background, and there's nothing there by which we're going to nail this guy with. And so they go after his religion and after his God. The end result is, is that Paul comes out on the very bright side of a lion's den. And those guys end up in the lion's den. But God blesses Daniel because of his integrity. What I'm saying to you is that people can knock you down, say bad things about you, but when you have your integrity intact, when you know you stand right before God, you can go through a lot of difficult things in, in life because of that. Look at verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that every, in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Notice what he says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So what, they're envious. So what, they might be jealous. Whatever it is that causes them to preach the good news about Jesus Christ, I'm down with that. I'm okay with that. It doesn't matter that I'm not exalted. If they want to put themselves up as long as Jesus is getting preached, then I'm good. And so he reframes it. And so rather than becoming angry and disillusioned about those who would say negative things about him, he turns it around and sees it as something that can come for good number three staying positive in an upside down world is to be positive in uncertain or challenging uh, future in other words paul says these words here i know that through your prayers that have been given by the spirit of jesus christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance paul expects to hopefully be delivered. But he knows something. He knows that he's soon going to stand before the magistrates, before a judge. And he could be found to be not guilty, innocent. And if so, then he will have opportunity to preach the gospel some more. But there's also a chance that he might be convicted. And if he's convicted, he knows he'll be executed. So he knows one way or the other. He's either going to live or he's going to die according to the trial. So Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's saying I could, be, I could be alive or I could be dead, but one way or another, I'm going to make sure that I am upholding the Lord. That's my concern. When I stand before a pagan judge in a pagan court, that I won't do anything to embarrass Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what's important to him. I pray that I'll have enough courage to stand up uh, in their midst, and that by what I say and do, Jesus Christ will be exalted, whether I live or whether I die. Doesn't matter. All I want to do is to exalt Jesus in my life. That's how he is viewing the 
future. A passage of scripture that you probably have all memorized. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The New Living Translation put it this way, to me, living means opportunity for Christ. And dying, that's even better. It's positive. In other words, when Paul looks at the future, the future is going to be in good hands one way or the other. If I live, the gospel will be advanced. That's good news to me. If I die, that's better. I'll just go to heaven. Good with me either way. And so he says, it does not matter. It's interesting that when Paul talks about circumstances or whether he talks about people or whether he talks about his future, he says, it doesn't matter as long as I know that I'm in the right place. It doesn't matter as long as I know the mission and the purpose for which my life exists, which is to honor Christ by life or by death, that I'm okay. And that is such good news when you think about looking at our future because here's what happens to us. Sometimes we get so caught up in our circumstances and situations in life or having to deal with unreasonable uh, people, that it's hard for us to see far beyond that stuff. And yet what we learn is that there is a good future that is out before us. It may not necessarily be in this life, but Jesus has certainly given us a wonderful promise. And one day we'll know that when we stand face to face with him. And we look at all this stuff, this past life, if we're able to do so, and we'll say, man, I sure got upset. I sure did struggle with a lot of things back then. But now that this eternal weight of glory is upon me, well, it really didn't matter all that, that much. So if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I love something that John Quincy Adams, was our sixth president, that he, he said when he was 80 years old, not too long before his death, a friend asked him this question. Well, how's John Quincy Adams today? And Adams replied, John Quincy Adams is quite well, thank you. But the house in which he lives is becoming dilapidated. It is tottering. Time and seasons have nearly destroyed it, and it's becoming quite uninhabitable. I shall move out of it soon. But John Quincy Adams is quite well, thank you. What a great, I mean, he, he had his eyes on the right things, didn't he? I mean, he looked at his circumstance. He's an old man. He knows that his time is short. He's going to die. If you're a president, you always know that a lot of the nation doesn't love you or care much about you, but that doesn't stop him. And as he looks at his future, to him, his future is bright. Like I say, Sometimes we get, so get, we get so caught up in our circumstance and in, in people around us that we can't see beyond that stuff. But beyond that stuff is the good stuff. I love what he had to say. I mean, I just, I just like it. Staying up in a down world. Paul says it's possible. And he becomes our example of how to deal with circumstances, how to deal with people, how to deal with the future. And that's how you can deal with it as well uh, this morning. So at this time, I'm going to share with you an opportunity to invite you that if you'd like to respond to the gospel invitation that Jesus invites you to, then won't you come? If you're a Christian, maybe you've been struggling some things. Maybe you're carrying this, this bag. Why not surrender that today? Let us pray with you and pray for you. While together we stand and while we sing.
Please remember services tonight at 6 and also Wednesday evening at 7. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give us and the hopeful words that Richard has shared with us this morning that because of Christ we can live and even in death we have great gain and we thank you for that. And in those words, God, help us to just leave everything at your feet. And, and to live, and to live the way that you'd want us to. Watch over us this week, guide our thoughts, our steps, and our conversations. In Jesus' name, amen.
A, a young woman, a Tammy Carter, has come forward, and she wants to be baptized into Christ this morning. So if you would like to have a seat, we will assist her in her confession as well as in her baptism. And she decided she wanted to be baptized this morning. And so I was kind of given a heads up that this would happen. But her family didn't push her hard enough uh, out the pew when, when the time came. And I felt like, well, you just can't go over and grab her because maybe she's changed her mind. But anyway, as soon as service is over, you know, uh, they made sure that she got up here. So, so tell, me, uh, tell, me, tell me, what do you believe concerning Jesus Christ? I believe that he is my Lord and Savior. God bless you for that confession. He, he is the resurrected one, and he uh, will be the Lord of your life. And so we're going to baptize you into Jesus here in just a few moments. Okay. All right. <laughs> 